Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. We're so glad that you're here today on a beautiful Sunday morning. I'll tell you, compared to last Sunday, I was getting ready to build an ark. I mean, it was like a monsoon. I'd like to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus. I'd like to welcome those in our South campus. I'd like to welcome all those watching online from Daytona and Orlando, from Jacksonville, from Hilton Head, from Myrtle Beach, from Gatlinburg. It's spring break in Augusta, tournament week in uh, I'm glad that you have tuned in, and there's a great, beautiful crowd here today. You know, I like to start with something funny. I heard about this uh, little boy that was sick and couldn't go to church. He stayed home with his mother, and his dad went to church, and he came uh, that afternoon, uh, came home with a, a palm branch, and he said, Dad, what's up with the palm branch? He said, well, today's Palm Sunday, and at church... Uh, We uh, remembered the story of how Jesus came to Jerusalem riding on a donkey and they waved palm branches. And he said, oh, that's just great. On the very Sunday that I missed, Jesus shows up. (laughs) Well, the truth of the matter is Jesus shows up every week when we gather in his name. Scripture teaches us that where two or three are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst with us. Well, today is Palm Sunday, and today is the beginning of Holy Week. And this week, we'll retrace the, uh, the steps of Jesus as he enters uh, the final week of his earthly life. This is the most monumental week in all of human history. The Palm, story, the Palm Sunday story begins with Jesus heading into Jerusalem for the last time. And while on the way, Jesus sent two of his disciples to go ahead of them to get a donkey and bring it back so that he could ride that and fulfill a 500-year-old prophecy. Uh, Zechariah prophesied that the king would come to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And when Jesus did that, he fulfilled that prophecy. And when he rode into Jerusalem, it was really like pandemonium. It was like a first century ticker tape parade. People were waving palm branches to welcome Jesus. They took off their coats. They they laid their coats on the ground so that he could uh, walk on the path or ride on the path um, as he rode into town. We see this story in Matthew chapter 21. It's it's actually in all four of the Gospels, but today we're going to look at Matthew 21, verse 8 and following. So a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now let's pause just for a second. Palm branches uh, during that time uh, was a symbol of power. They were a symbol of dignity. They were a symbol of honor. And they were so, they were used in a way to bring honor that they'd even embossed them on the back of the coinage of that uh, first century and during the first century. They used, uh, palm branches were used to symbolize victory. 
They were used to symbolize the coming of a king. And to lay out the palm branches as a carpet was a way of honoring royalty. But you say, why now? I mean, Jesus had been in public ministry for three years. Why all of a sudden did all of these massive number of people join together, head to Jerusalem? Why were they out there waving palm branches? Why? Here's why. Because Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. In fact, Lazarus died, was placed in a tomb. Four days later, Jesus raised him from the dead. The news of Lazarus uh, spread throughout the region. And people thought, well, if he can raise Lazarus from the dead, could he be the Messiah? Was he the, maybe he is the Messiah. Maybe Jesus is the Messiah. Maybe he's the Savior of Israel. And people got excited. And so they gathered together, they shouted with joy as Jesus rode into the town. Next verse, the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and they asked, who is, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So we see this story and we notice that the crowds had gathered and they shouted, Hosanna. The word Hosanna means, Lord, save us. Lord, save our nation now. They thought that the Messiah was going to be a political leader. They believed that the Messiah was going to come and be a political hero who would finally achieve victory over Rome, who ruled their land. They saw the Messiah as one that would come in with great military power, with military strength to crush the oppression of the Roman government and bring freedom from uh, bondage uh, there in Israel. On that first Palm Sunday, they cried out, Hosanna. Now, imagine yourself in that situation. Imagine yourself being there, feeling the oppression of the culture. In some ways, we're in that situation now. And there are people crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Lord, save our nation The people on that first Palm Sunday were crying out for deliverance. They were living under oppression, Roman oppression. And they came out and they saw Jesus and they cried out, Lord, save us. You know, in so many ways, I feel like that we too can relate to that. And I think that should be our prayer as we enter and mark this Palm Sunday, 2023. God, save us. Save our nation. God, let righteousness prevail in America. Folks, we are in a spiritual battle in this country. And this past week, it just became so evident as we began the week viewing the Christian school shooting in Nashville. 
the, the media is calling this a hate crime against Christians. Now, the government has not ruled this as a hate crime, but it's evil regardless. Six innocent people lost their lives, and this was carried out by a demon-possessed person. And we watch this, and our hearts cry out, cry out, God, have mercy on us. Hosanna, God, save us. This reminded me that we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but we are wrestling against principalities and powers, against evil forces attacking our land. So what shall we do? We should pray. We should stand in the gap. We should declare that nobody but Jesus is going to run our land. Nobody but Jesus is going to run our lives. And we understand that this spiritual battle begins at home. And so we push back the darkness from our homes. We push back the darkness from our neighborhoods. We pray and we declare God's word over our families. And we declare that righteousness prevail in our land. We are in a spiritual battle. And there could be another arrest made during Holy Week this week. The timing of this is uncanny. What should we do about that? We should pray. We should declare that righteousness prevail in our homes, in our state, in our nation. We pray for our families. We pray for our leaders. We pray that God would establish righteousness. The highest elected official in Columbia County is Doug Duncan. And Doug Duncan and Gene, they're Creekers. They're one of us. We should pray for him as he leads Columbia County. I think about our 12th district congressman representing Georgia's Rick Allen. He's a godly man. His relatives attend Stevens Creek. Salt of the earth, folks. What's our response? We should pray for them. I think about Joe Wilson, who I met some time ago, uh, that represents Aiken County and Lexington County. A man of faith. We should pray for them because our elected officials feel the brunt of this spiritual battle that we're in. And today, we're crying out, Hosanna, Lord, save our nation. This is not a battle against left and right and against Republicans and Democrats, but this is a battle against the spiritual forces uh, of evil. And we are the people of God. We are the people that have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and that we must stand our ground and say, not on our watch, not now, but in Jesus' name, we will prevail. But it takes a power greater than ourselves. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through us, working through us. We need the Lord in our lives. We need the Lord in our country. 
We're in a spiritual battle, but let's take this from um, the broad view and let's bring it home. Let's make it personal. Those people said, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Today we say, Lord, save us. Save me. What do you need to be saved from today? Just think about this. Not on a, a, a big view picture, but just you personally. What are those things that are coming that you feel that weight, that you feel that pressure, that you feel that attack? I mean, we all have issues and we're all battling things. Some of you need to be set free. You're bound by some form of addiction and it needs to be broken in Jesus' name. Some of you are wrestling with some type of a sickness And you're crying out to be healed in Jesus' name. Some of you are wrestling with the pressure of having a wayward child, a son or a daughter. And we pray that the prodigals come home in Jesus' name. Some of you are struggling with a marriage that's on the verge of breaking up. And it feels like it's beyond repair. It's beyond hope. But we pray peace in your family and your home in Jesus' name. Some of you are wrestling with some type of a a habit, some type of a negative attitude. And when this attitude covers you, it takes you to a very, very dark place. And others of you, you feel like you have been trapped. That you're trapped and you can't get free and that that you're being held back and that you cannot advance and you cannot find fulfillment because you feel locked in this place. I pray that you will find freedom. And today we all gather and we say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. And we cry out to the Lord today. We get really specific in our cries. We get very specific in our prayers and we name that. So what is it that you need God to do in your life today? Name that thing. Name that issue. Name that problem. Name that challenge. Be specific with that. Be specific in your prayers I think nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific first. So be specific. The more specific I am in my prayers, I think the quicker that I will see God answer those prayers. So here's the point. We're saying, Hosanna, Lord, save me. And here's what the practical point. I want you to pray desperate prayers. I want you to pray desperate prayers. It is often at your lowest point that you are closest to your greatest miracle. It is often at your lowest point that you're closest to your greatest miracle. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Lord, lead me. Lord, heal me. When all of your human options have been exhausted and everything you're holding on to has failed and when you have done the possible and you've done everything you know to do, I am telling you, you are at the verge of a miracle. There's a breakthrough coming your way. 
God never turns his face away from the desperate cries of his people. And you may feel like you're at your lowest point. You may feel like it's at the darkest season of your life. But I am telling you, a light is coming. A light is shining. Jesus is here. He has heard your prayer. And a breakthrough is coming in Jesus' name. No matter where you are, no matter how bad things look in Christ, we can be victorious. On that first Palm Sunday... People saw Jesus come, and they envisioned him as a political hero that was going to deliver them from the Roman oppression. That this Messiah was going to use this this military power to crush the Roman armies. But Jesus had a different plan. He didn't ride into Jerusalem on a golden chariot. Jesus didn't ride into uh, Jerusalem on a white stallion like a, a conquering king. Not at all. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. On an animal that symbolized humility and an animal that symbolized servanthood. I mentioned earlier the 500-year-old prophecy. I want to read the words of this prophecy. It comes from the Old Testament, Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9. It said, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, here's what he's saying here. He says, Your king is coming. Your king is coming, but he's not coming as you expect. He's not coming as you would think he would come. You see, in those days, when a king would enter into a city, he entered on a war horse, not on a donkey. Now, the war horse would be taller than any other horse in the land. That they would measure a horse by hand breadths. And so they would start at the ground, and they would measure how tall the horse is by their hand breadth. Now, the king would have a horse that would be two or three hand breadths taller than any other king in the land. A military leader always wanted to uh, a, a horse that's higher than a normal horse. And a king would want one even higher than that. Because he was higher than anything or anyone in the land. So he rode a higher horse. Now think about what Jesus did. He not only rode a lower animal, but it wasn't a horse. It was a donkey. Now think about this. Notice he says he would come on the foal of a donkey. So many times we read that just very quickly and just... Just think about it. And we've seen some pictures, and we've seen Jesus uh, on an illustration of him riding this donkey into uh, Jerusalem. Zechariah said, your king's coming lowly, bringing justice. He's on a foal of a donkey. Now, a foal of a donkey means a baby donkey. So oftentimes in our illustrations, we see Jesus riding this donkey. 
But if Zechariah is painting the picture, he says actually there would be two donkeys. Because in those days, a foal, a baby donkey, needed his mother to keep him calm, especially in, in crowded situations. So more than likely, the mother of this donkey would be riding alongside the foal. Now think about it. The foal is a baby donkey. So Jesus is sitting uh, on this donkey, and more than likely, his feet is probably dragging the ground because it's a small donkey. The people in Jerusalem were expecting a king, not riding on the foal of a donkey with his feet dragging the ground, but the people expected a war horse. They wanted somebody to set them free from their temporary circumstances. They wanted a temporary answer, but Jesus came with a permanent solution. Jesus said, I am coming, but I'm not coming as you expect. Here's the point. Your prayers may not be answered in the way that you expect them to be answered. But God will still answer. Your prayers may not be answered in the way that you expect them to be answered, but God will answer. God will answer. That's why oftentimes I pray, oh God, please, not my will, but your will be done. God, you take this situation and I'm going to trust you with the best answer for the situation. So that day, Jesus comes riding the foal of a donkey. Uh, People are shouting. Uh, They're saying, Hosanna. They're waving palm branches. Uh, They're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, And what do you think Jesus is feeling at this point? What is he doing. I mean, he sees all the pandemonium, all the excitement, but Jesus has a different take on this because he knew he wasn't coming to set up a political kingdom. We see his story and his reaction in Luke chapter 19 and verse 41. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, what did he do? He wept. He wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. When he looked and saw the city of Jerusalem and saw the masses there, he began to weep because he loved the city of Jerusalem and he loved the people in it. He he wept because he realize that most of them that are in the streets did not accept his message. For three years, he had preached the message of love. For three years, he had preached the message of forgiveness. He encouraged the people to change direction. He encouraged the people to repent. But for the most part, his message was ignored. And his heart was broken. People all around him was rejoicing, but Jesus wept because they failed to recognize what God was doing. We drop down a couple of verses in Luke chapter 19. We look at verse 44. It says, and Jesus said, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They didn't realize that God himself 
was in their midst. That God himself was visiting them. And in this moment, they missed their opportunity. Oh, yes, they filled the, the streets and they shouted Hosanna, but it was all a show. The crowd wanted a king on the throne, but Jesus wanted to be enthroned on their heart. They wanted a, a political kingdom. Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom. And when that crowd realized that Jesus was not going to instigate a rebellion and overthrow the Romans, they turned against him. By the time Tuesday rolled around, their fervor for the Lord had gone. And by Friday of Holy Week, they arrested him. And many in the same crowd that cried out, Hosanna, was now crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Now, hours before Jesus was arrested and ultimately crucified, he gathered his disciples together so that they could celebrate the Passover meal. I want to read you several verses from Luke chapter 22 just to give you insight what was going on in the last and the final hours of Jesus' ministry here on this earth. In verse 14, it says, When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. And Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Now, the Passover is a reference to a meal that they had to celebrated to reenact, to remember what God had done in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel were slaves to Pharaoh and they brought the, and God brought the 10 plagues and said, let my people go so that they can worship me on the last plague. He sent the death angel to take the firstborn of every child, of every family in Egypt, the firstborn son of every family in Egypt, even in Pharaoh's household. But God said, if you'll take the blood of a lamb and you'll put it over your doorpost, then when the death angel comes over your household, he will pass over your household and death will not affect your household. You'll be saved from this judgment because uh, of the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. The angel will pass over. So that's where that comes from. Next verse. No, notice, let's go back to that verse 15. Um, I'm very eager to eat the Passover with you before my suffering begins. So Jesus knew that his time was coming to a close. And he is telling his disciples, look, I'm about to begin my suffering. So he is giving them a warning even before anything happened, before he was arrested. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal until... Its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he said to his disciples, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks for it. And then he broke it into pieces and he gave it 
to the disciples saying that this is my body. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this uh, cup is the, the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Jesus is telling the disciples what's about to happen. In fact, he says, in the future, as you gather together, I want you to look back and remember what's taking place right now. In fact, when you gather together, I want you to take the bread and I want you to take the cup. And when you hold the bread and you take the bread and the cup, I want you to think back. I want you to remember this moment. When the Jewish people used the word remembrance, it was not in a passive kind of way that you just kind of remember that. But they used it more as a reenactment. It meant going through the event again. Just like the Jews in the Old Testament, they reenacted the Passover. They had the Passover meal. They, they told the story. The believers in the New Testament reenacted the events of the Last Supper. So for the last 2,000 years, followers of Jesus in every culture, in every country, in every language, regardless of their tradition, they've gathered together to remember Jesus. Communion uses bread as a symbol of Jesus' body and the cup as a symbol of his blood. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to Take the bread and the cup. So when you came in today, you should have received at our Grovetown campus, at our South campus, uh, here at the Augusta campus, a plastic cup that looks like this. If you did not receive one of those, I want you to slip up your hands real quickly and keep them up, and the ushers are coming quickly. You don't have to slip up your hand quickly, but the ushers will come quickly. They're in Grovetown, South campus, and I want everybody that would like a communion cup to do this. Now, as they're doing that, I want to give you some practical uh, instructions. This is a plastic cup, and so there's two pieces of plastic on top of that. If you can take this and take the top plastic and just pull it back a little bit, there's going to be bread uh, under that top plastic cup. And then you can go ahead and pull the foil up just a little bit. Now, here's a word of wisdom because I've done this a lot. Don't squeeze the cup when you pull the foil or you will need another one, okay? And so you'll pull the foil back, okay? Everybody, I think we're good. And so today we're going to take the bread and the cup in just a minute. But before we do that, I just want to talk to you about this just a little bit. In the New Testament, they took this very seriously. In fact, the apostle Paul said, so anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. He said, that's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. 
So the interesting thing here is it says in an unworthy manner. If you take this cup in an unworthy manner. I want to just talk about that just a little bit. In the Greek, that is an adverb, not a noun. It's not an adjective. It's an adverb. It's not talking about who you are. It's talking about how you come to the table, how you approach communion. There's a world of difference between these two things. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. So we're not going to be perfect when we receive the communion. But it talks about coming to communion with an attitude of brokenness, an attitude of humility, an attitude of God. I'm here because of you. I surrender to you. An attitude of surrender. It's an attitude to say, God, I'm depending completely on your grace. And so it says, just pause just for a moment and examine yourself. Are you depending on the Lord today? And that's the attitude that we should have as we approach this part of the service. I want to pray over you and then I'll lead you through communion. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this congregation, our South Campus, our Grovetown Campus, those watching online and here in our Augusta Campus. I pray, Father, that your spirit would rest upon us. Lord, as we prepare our hearts to receive communion, I ask, God, that you would release your presence upon your people. And, Father, for those here today that are crying out in desperation for help, I ask, God, that you would release and you would send help in their time of need. Father, as we take the cup today, for those that need forgiveness, God, that this would be the moment where forgiveness would flow. To those that need healing, God, that this would be a moment that healing would come. Jesus, I pray for those that are in desperate situations. That it feels like that their home is a toxic environment. And I pray, Father, Father, that the peace of Jesus would be released on their home. Father, Father, for those that are covered in worry and those that are covered in fear, God, let the peace and the presence of the Lord release them from this bondage. Father, today, those that are struggling with alcohol and with drugs and, and for the misuse of prescription medicine, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, in this moment, that that would be broken over them and they would find the freedom that comes in Jesus. So Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we surrender our lives and we say, Jesus, have your way in our life. So with that in mind, We pull back the plastic. We take this bread and we hold it in our hands. Father, we take this bread. And Father, we ask you to bless this bread as we break it now. And as we take it now in Jesus' name.
Father, just as that bread represents your body, this cup represents your blood. Your blood that was spilled from the cross. And today we remember what you did. Today we remember that. And Father, we ask that you would bless this cup as we take it in Jesus' name. We receive this, Lord, and we receive what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.